0: Modern hydroelectric dams are among the most economically consequential structures countries build. When they work well, they can protect downstream areas from devastating floods, while also providing steady water flow for agriculture and vast amounts of electricity for economic development. On the other hand, their construction is often politically controversial, both within states and between them. And should one of these massive structures ever collapse, it can lead to truly catastrophic outcomes. This week, we're taking a look at two important dams that have come under different kinds of pressure. The Three Gorges Dam in China, which has entered the structural danger zone after two months of torrential rain, and the Grand Ethiopian Renaissance Dam in Ethiopia, which sits astride the Blue Nile River and has caused major tensions between East African powers Ethiopia, Sudan, and Egypt. As always, thank you so much for listening. If you get a chance and you feel so inclined, Please leave us a five star review or share us on social media. All righty, let's get elucidating. Hello. And welcome to another episode of The Elucidators. As always, I am your host, Steve Alley. With me, as always, is my co-host and producer, Pete Newsom. What's going on, Pete? How you doing? I'm doing well, Steve. How are you, man? I'm living. I'm living large, staying hydrated, getting real hot. Yeah. How about you? I would
1: say I'm doing both of those things, too. Yeah. I'm drinking enough water. Yeah. Important to stay hydrated. Absolutely. Yeah, dude.
0: Yo! I, I heard from our, our erstwhile co-host, Asumi. He sent me a dope meme. That's dope. <laughs> yeah, the dopest. Do you want to hear about it? Yeah, I would love to. Drop okay. it on me. This, this is actually kind of a cool meme. And he said he thought that it encapsulates security studies very nicely, which which I kind of agree with. It's a sort of a collage of animal pictures.
1: I like it already.
0: Yeah, so far so good, right? The animals are... Eagles, alligators, grizzly bears, water buffalo, gorillas, wolves, lions, and prairie dogs, and then one guy with a gun. (laughs) And there are different numbers of these different animals, and the caption is, pick two from the list to defend you. The rest are coming to kill you. And here are the numbers, all right? All right. One guy with a gun, 50 eagles, 10 alligators, three grizzly bears, seven water buffalo, Five gorillas, fifteen wolves, four lions, or ten thousand prairie dogs. <laughs> pick two, and the rest are coming to kill you. What are your two, and why? So
1: I was thinking originally that I would pick the one gunman as one of these choices, yeah, but I thought so too. For, yeah. So the guy, the gunman, is his gun is I think a shotgun.
0: Looks like a shotgun, so it gauge. has
1: limited ammunition, and it's not a, an automatic firing weapon. So, mm. even if it were an automatic, like machine gun or something, I still think he may might not be like one of the best possible choices for your two. I think I would pick fifty eagles, and you talked me into this actually. Five gorillas. Yep. In my opinion, fifty eagles is quite. An asset in this equation. <laughs> I agree. You I, know, I, like even ten eagles isn't necessarily going to match like four lions. But no way. Yeah. You know, there's there's sort of an overwhelming like it passes the tipping point when you get to fifty eagles that can. I'm assuming they're going to fly down and like use their talons and beak to attack anyone or like they're working in
0: a coordinated way. Yeah, here's what I'm thinking more specifically. So, yeah, I I started out with a gunman too, being the longest range sort of uh, weapon. But I wasn't thinking about the eagles, what the eagles can actually do. They can fly down and blind any one of these other animals, and once that's done, much easier to attack them, right? Yeah, and and just being able to travel in the air is exactly they're actually way longer range than the gunman. I don't think a, one gunman would have a chance against 50 eagles. Like, it's just not going to yeah, happen. Yeah,
1: and, and maybe with a certain type of gun, but this guy doesn't look like he has that type of gun.
0: Yeah, and and then five gorillas. Yeah, I went back and forth between five gorillas, three grizzly bears, and four lions. Like, that's, you know, these are the short range. Four lions were, my, were in my original two, too. Yeah, as it turns out, gorillas have twice the bite strength as lions. I didn't know this until I looked at it. Well, they got to chew through like sticks, you know? Yeah, and they also have opposable thumbs, so they can use clubs and throw stuff. So they can climb trees. Pretty versatile uh, utility player. All-purpose defense. Yeah. Um, Alligators are nasty, though. Not going to lie. And 10 of them is quite a cadre of alligators. Yeah, they can run very fast. They can outrun, I think, most of these animals. <laughs> so there's that too. <laughs> really? And then, of course, 10,000 prairie dogs. I got to know more about how that would actually work, whether they can actually attack in hundreds or thousands at once effectively, or whether you're dealing with like just a few dozen at a time. You know, or even I'm, if,
1: it, assume they can attack in a unified way, like thousands mm. of them. What is a prairie
0: dog's like attack ability? I think. Fighting it's, with their little. So they can bite, but I'm thinking, sheer weight of numbers, they're just going to jump all over a gorilla or a lion, bring them down, and suffocate them. Just cover. Just cover, yeah. And and like that'll basically be it. It'll be like a swarm of bees cooking a wasp to death, which is actually what they do. Yeah. Okay. Well, we just
1: don't know. We don't know about those 10,000 prairie dogs.
0: I think we landed on the same answer: 50 eagles, five gorillas. If you guys, if anybody listening has a better idea or a better answer, or information on how prairie dogs attack in swarms, please feel free to hit us up on social media or write in to the at gmail.com. Or, hey, if you want to talk about international relations or global news, that's good too. But right now we're thinking about lists of deadly animals. So
1: yeah, and I want to say I didn't even consider seven water buffalo like at any <laughs> <No>. <laughs> time. <laughs> but maybe I should have. Like maybe there's something I don't know about water
0: buffalo. I think they're pretty tough. I think they're tanks. But it, you know, I just they're, they they got to stay close to the water, right? So anyway, thanks Sumi, that was fun. Yeah, thanks Sumi. Um, Pete, where are we this week? What are we talking about?
1: This week we are hanging out on two major rivers mm. on the face of this earth. The rivers are the Yangtze in China okay. and the Blue
0: Nile in Ethiopia. Interesting. I've yeah. heard of both of those and both of those countries. What can you tell me about these rivers? Well, the Yangtze is the longest
1: river in all of Asia. Spicy? Very, yes. And the Blue Nile is one of the Nile River's two source tributaries. So the Blue Nile is is different from the Nile River, which we all know of. The Nile River is the longest river in the world.
0: Yes, and it turns out that the Brazilians dispute this. (laughs) They say that the Amazon is the longest river in the world. I don't actually know who is correct, but I'm comfortable saying that they're like 1 and 1A. Okay, They're, they're similarly long. They're very long. They're both very
1: long. Yeah, it's funny. That seems like a thing that could be determined... (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah, without too much trouble. But I guess the Brazilians have have contested this national pride, you know?
1: All right. Fair enough. So, on these rivers, over the past 25 years or so, the Chinese and Ethiopian governments have built gigantic dams. On the Yangtze, the Chinese government built the Three Gorges Dam. I see. The Three Gorges Dam is the world's largest hydropower generator. Yeah.
0: Okay. I'm picturing a, uh, a t-shirt that says the Yangtze is gorgeous. That's, you know. You're in the wrong line of work, my man. You should be making t-shirts. It's a little uh, Cornell joke for uh, any listeners out there. It's Ithaca's gorgeous, very uh, poignant t-shirt. Anyway, please continue. So there's the Three Gorges Dam, and mm-hmm. there's
1: also the Grand Ethiopian Renaissance Dam, Ooh. which uh, is commonly shortened to the acronym GERD. Uh-huh. And this dam is on the Blue Nile. And the GERD is the world's seventh largest hydropower generator.
0: All right. So we're talking about top 10 dams here,
1: basically. That's right.
0: Number one, number seven, big dams.
1: Big dams. And to be honest, both of them are in trouble at this moment for different mm. reasons. On the three At the Three Gorges, the waters behind the dam are terrifyingly close to the top, which were they to go too much higher, they would collapse the dam and... That would lead to apocalyptic flooding downstream of the dam. Wow. Yeah.
0: That is terrifying.
1: (laughs) It would be a really bad picture.
0: Yeah, really bad. We'll get into how bad a little bit
1: later. Yeah. Meanwhile, Ethiopia has started filling the GERD, even though it's not entirely completed, the dam itself. Ethiopia has started to fill the area behind the dam against the wishes of its downstream neighbors, which are Sudan and Egypt both of which countries rely on the waters of the Nile to feed their populations. Ah, that seems like it could be a pretty big deal. It could be a huge deal. There's no doubt about it. And it's not too much to say that if these dams were to fail, the governments and even states could fail as well because they're such large, important parts of of these countries at this point. They have a lot riding on these projects. And you know, when we talk about these dams, they they tie into a larger theme, which is that control over water is becoming increasingly a source of power because it's, we're experiencing climate change. Mm. The world is rapidly warming.
0: Let's get into the Three Gorges Dam first, and Pete, I'm gonna I'm gonna spin out some damn facts, son. Please do. All right. So this thing was built between the years 1994 and 2006 to the tune of $31 billion, which was quite a bit of money at that time, especially for China, which was still fairly poor. Again, this is one of the world's largest dams. Depending on how you count, it is perhaps the biggest dam in the world, certainly by installed hydroelectric power generation capacity. Not necessarily by peak output so far. If there's some dam in Brazil that has actually put out more power than the Three Gorges Dam. But the Three Gorges Dam, as a power station, can, in theory, put out more. But it was really built to control flooding in the Yangtze Basin. The Yangtze Basin accounts for 50% of China's agricultural output. It's basically the breadbasket of China. So it's pretty important that it doesn't flood. And the Chinese have been dealing with the flooding of the Yangtze for literally thousands of years. It's been a problem. In addition, there are some major cities downstream from the dam. One of them you might have heard of <laughs> due to recent events, the city of Wuhan is actually downstream from the Three Gorges Dam. And this is, of course, the birthplace of the uh, novel coronavirus, which has caused the COVID 19 pandemic. So during the process of building this thing, 1.4 million people were displaced. The Chinese government just picked them up and moved them out, shipped them out. 13 cities ended up underwater. And the reservoir destroyed 1,300 archaeological sites. Some artifacts were rescued, but it's pretty clear that a lot of them are basically under the reservoir. (laughs) That's crazy. It's totally crazy. And at the time, this was not a straightforward play for the Chinese government. A lot of Chinese felt strongly that this was a bad idea. In fact, one-third of China's parliament, which is a fake rubber-stamp parliament because we're dealing with a communist dictatorship, actually voted against the dam or abstained during the final authorization vote in 1992.
1: That has to be an all-time record
0: high, right? It's one of them. Yeah, so I I actually looked at the vote, and there were about 2,100... Parliamentarians at this time, 100 voted against and 600 abstained. <laughs> so it's not that one third voted against it. That would have required a little bit too much bravery. But a lot of people were like, ah, you know, I'm feeling sick today. I'm uh, <laughs> not present. I'm going to show up for this one. Yeah. Not showing up for this one, which is, I guess, a little bit less a sign of defiance <laughs> politically. Mm-hmm. At the time, some critics noted hydrologists and engineers, important ones, said that what would end up happening is that silt would build up behind the dam and eventually render it ineffective, requiring it to be dynamited. (laughs) So the idea was basically it might buy the Yangtze Basin some period of time, but the water is so salty that they would have to either blow up the dam or somehow excavate from behind it because it would get choked also, it hasn't actually solved the problem of flooding. It it seems to have ameliorated it somewhat. It's gotten better. But the river still floods because the government still has to release a lot of water to preserve the dam in situations like this. In addition, because the silt is left on the sort of upriver side of the dam in the reservoir, the water coming out of the dam is desilted and runs much faster downstream of the dam. And this hastens the erosion of the riverbank such that some areas are now a full 11 meters lower than they used to be. (laughs) So it's collapsing the riverbank in on the river.
1: Since like the mid-90s? Is that when this was completed?
0: Yeah. No, this was completed, I think, in 2006. And it's, it's, it's only been around for, you know, 15 years or so, and it's already causing all these sort of second order effects and problems. Yeah.
1: It's a short period of time for 11 meters to erode from the riverbank.
0: Yeah. And many of these problems were anticipated by the way, and Mm. just kind of ignored by the government, you know, for political reasons, uh, the Chinese government felt that they needed to do this. And we'll explain why. What is the deal with the dam right now, Pete? What's going on? Well, it's a bad a bad rainy season
1: okay. there this year. The Yangtze River is above flood level after record rains this year, and that has led to the worst flooding in decades. Yikes. You know, that's not great. So the dam is built to withstand waters to the height of 175 meters above sea level. Currently, the water is 160 meters above sea level, but more rain is predicted this year. Oh. Yeah. So, you know, signs point towards water reaching, it's a, a critical height behind the dam. It already is standing at 15 meters above what is considered a warning level. Got it.
0: So we are cruising in like the orange zone or maybe in the, the border between the orange zone and the red zone. It's kind of what it sounds like.
1: Which is not where you want to be when you're dealing with a 600 foot high dam. No, sir. Yeah, this year is the worst flooding since 1998. Yikes. It's been raining for two months straight, and it's still raining. So, yeah, what would happen if this thing did break, if the dam broke? It would destroy much of China's best farmland right before the harvest season. That ain't good. No, it would cause a a famine. And what do you think? Hundreds of thousands of people would probably die.
0: It... Would cause a lot of problems. I would imagine that a lot of people would die just in the in the flood. It would be a flash flood, right? And this is this is not unprecedented in China. There was a, a dam breakage in 1975 uh, that apparently killed something like a quarter million people over the course of three or four days. That's staggering. Yeah. I if I recall,
1: it was sort of a domino effect of break of breaking dams and something like sixty, sixty-five. Yeah, dams broke in succession. Yes, and resulted in in that outcome.
0: Exactly. That was 75 and China was poor. Most of those dams were built by the Soviet Union or by China, you know, during the Cultural Revolution where they didn't have very good materials basically. Right. But yeah, it did lead to this kind of cascading failure where when dams upstream break, they can send surges Downstream, because Mm -hmm. the reservoirs basically all empty out at once. And they finally overwhelmed the biggest dam standing between, I guess, the river and the populated area Mm -hmm. and broke it. And that was that. That was that for. (laughs) Yeah. Well,
1: obviously, hopefully, materials and engineering have improved greatly.
0: I think they have. Between
1: that era and the Three Gorges era.
0: Yeah. China is far richer and more sophisticated and Russia had absolutely nothing to do <laughs> with with building this these dams. So <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, in addition to destroying
1: farmland and, and directly killing people in a flood, if the Three Gorges Dam broke, it would cause major power outages to a lot of major cities because the Three Gorges Dam is the world's largest hydroelectric power station.
0: Oh right. Yeah. I forgot that part. <laughs> It's not just a
1: big wall holding water back.
0: It uh, it actually generates a lot of power. And so you would see Wuhan, for instance, a city of 10 million people, go dark, potentially. Mm.
1: This is something that's very encouraging.
0: Beijing has admitted that the Three Gorges
1: Dam has, quotes, deformed slightly in (laughs) non-structural areas.
0: (laughs) To be clear, Uh, we don't know what that means. We're not engineers or hydrologists. Well, yeah. Do they know what it means? Or are they telling the truth?
1: (laughs) Right. (laughs) Right. Are are these areas non-structural in reality? What part of a dam is non-structural? I don't don't know.
0: I don't know enough about dams to be able to say, but you you don't want to see the words deformed slightly anywhere near the Three Gorges dam in a sentence.
1: This is true. But the dam director has said that nothing could topple the dam, quotes, in the next 500 years, and that none of the 12,000 sensors in the dam has shown red. So there are 12,000 sensors in this thing.
0: You know what this sounds like? This sounds like Chernobyl. (laughs) Oh. (laughs) All systems go. There's no way this thing could fail. Uh Uh-huh. No problem. If you haven't seen that show on HBO, I highly recommend it. It's really good. Yes. So... There's a lot
1: of water built up behind the Three Gorges right now, and there's a ton of water going through that they are letting through in order to prevent further buildup of water behind the dam. So that's the throughput, and it's actually not the largest throughput that has ever been seen. In 2012, there was a bad flood season, and uh, even more was coming through at that time. Okay, so this
0: is not completely
1: unprecedented. It's not unprecedented. It's not good because when that much water is coming through, a lot of people are displaced and and having huge problems downstream.
0: Right. It's like, yes, the dam has not failed, so that's good, but guess what? (laughs) A lot of people are getting affected anyway, as you say, and we'll get to that. Yes, we will. China's state media
1: company, Xinhua, has described the flood as, quote, naughty kids that want to go outside and play, which... Has been criticized.
0: Well, look, I have two naughty kids that want to go outside and play, and they're nowhere near as dangerous. <laughs> have they displaced millions of people? No, they have not. <laughs> <laughs> they mostly just whine really loudly until I uh, I give them uh, like a power bar. That's pretty comparable, but yeah, I guess so on, on a small scale. <laughs> so we're
1: gonna, I guess, say that at the moment the dam appears to be safe. Xi Jinping has not visited the area and. You would imagine if there was a big reason to be concerned, he would be going out there.
0: Yeah. Although he didn't show up in Wuhan until I think February <laughs> or something. It took him quite a while during the pandemic. I don't I don't remember exactly when he actually came. He sent like uh, he sent flunkies for a while, but yeah. Yeah, he is a pretty big flunky sender. But
1: I mean, we can say it looks safe for now, but there are, are other dams upstream from the Three Gorges, and were they to break, it would send surges of water to the Three Gorges, which is already, what, 15 meters away from its max fill.
0: Right, yeah, so if if you get a cascading failure along the lines of what happened in 1975, there could be a problem, basically. And in order to avoid that problem, you'd have to open the dam even more and flood even more people, right? And here's the thing, the situation is bad enough as it is even if the dam doesn't fail, because with the amount of flooding that is currently downstream of the dam, which the dam was intended to prevent, we've got 50 million people in dozens of provinces currently affected by this. That's uh, 10 million people more than live in California. We've got f- around 4 million people displaced, which is the size of uh, LA Metro, basically, or LA City, not LA Metro. This is happening right now at this yes. time due to flooding. And
1: the dam is still standing.
0: Yeah, the dam is functioning properly. <laughs> it's functioning the way it's supposed to, it's supposed to work. Okay. <laughs> Seems like a bit of an oversight. We've got over 40,000 homes that have collapsed. And we have 158 deaths so far, and that's got to be an undercount. I think when this is all said and done, it'll be way more than that. Mm-hmm. It's gotten to the point where authorities have preemptively dynamited an older dam upriver from the Three Gorges— to try to prevent a larger failure and surge because they were not confident that this older dam could hold if it kept taking on water and they could not drain it fast enough by any other way. Wow. So, yeah, dynamite so they blow it up and control the outflow somehow. They blow it up while before it's too high basically. Uh, I see. So you get a surge but it's not as big of a surge as it could be. Yeah. And here's the thing, the Chinese government always prioritizes major cities over the countryside, which makes sense, right? It's, they have so much more population. But the thing is, you still have hundreds of millions of people living in these rural areas that are getting inundated. You know, Just because the cities are bigger and more important doesn't mean that you don't have a ton of people in these farming areas that are now underwater. And as a result of all of this, this is kind of crazy, China has announced its second largest purchase of U.S. corn ever, and also a lot of U.S. wheat, possibly as a hedge against this dam failing and wiping out their harvest. And think about what's happening between the United States and China right now. We're entering a second Cold War. Tensions are very high. The Chinese are taking this pretty seriously.
1: Yeah, there's almost nothing they'd want to do less than make a big purchase from the U.S. right now. Right.
0: So you have the dam manager... And this, the state media making reassuring noises on one side, and then they're doing stuff like this on the other side. They're buying a ton of our agricultural products and dynamiting dams upriver. <laughs> Something doesn't fit.
1: <laughs> yeah, they're maybe tipping their hand that they're they're worried.
0: So, all right, that's Three Gorges.
1: Yeah, so that's that's the Three Gorges Dam in in, in China, and now we can talk about the Grand Ethiopian Renaissance Dam, the GERD. Gird. just a few facts about the country of ethiopia yes please the world's largest landlocked country with 110 million people whoa it wasn't always landlocked but due to a civil war with eritrea eritrea i guess became a country yeah eritrea has the coastline that was once ethiopia's correct coastline. yeah they took all their
0: ports basically
1: <laughs> got it so now ethiopia <laughs> is newly landlocked yeah Geographically, it's twice the size of Texas, so it's huge. Massive. Ethiopia has the second largest population in Africa.
0: Okay, so it's got to be fairly
1: wealthy, right? It is, in fact, not too wealthy. um, It has a GDP of $90 billion US, which is roughly the size of New Hampshire's GDP. But it has 80 times the population of New Hampshire. Wow. I walked right into that one. (laughs) One might call Ethiopia extremely poor, actually. Okay. But that said, it is growing quickly and the GERD is, is actually a large part of that growth. Okay. Plan. Ethiopia has an ancient culture, the kingdom of Aksum, which was contemporaneous with Persia and ancient Rome and things at that time, but continues to this day. Is that correct?
0: Yeah. So I think Aksum and Ethiopia are are featured in like the New Testament in one form or another. Uh, This is also some of the earliest Christians ended up in Ethiopia and founded the Coptic church. Mm. So that like, if you go to Ethiopia, they have these amazing like millennia old churches with architecture that is seen nowhere else on earth. It's very cool.
1: Wow. That's awesome.
0: Yeah. So this is, this area of the world, the
1: Horn of Africa, or you know East Africa, mm. was destabilized by decades of civil war. Yeah. We had the Somali civil war, and then the the civil war or the war between Ethiopia and Eritrea.
0: Right. So Somali civil war was featured prominently in the movie Black Hawk Down. If you ever saw that, that's right. Yeah. It took place in Mogadishu. Yeah, just brutal decades long civil war. Yep.
1: So. There's been massive destabilization there, but this dam could be part of a picture where things stabilize Yeah, and develop. A lot of countries were involved in these wars, these destabilizing wars. The Saudis, the Emiratis, the Turks, the Qataris, the Europeans, and the Americans all you know, had their hands in this. It's a party in the horn, man. <laughs> <laughs> As the old saying goes, party in the horn. <laughs> yeah, join us. So this dam, the GERD, was started in 2010, so a decade ago, and it's being built on the Blue Nile, which is one of the Nile's uh, source rivers. As we, The other do. is
0: the White Nile, which I think comes out of Uganda. Okay, so we got the Blue, the blue Nile and the White Nile. Got yeah, it. and then they join up downstream in, I think, Sudan to form the Nile.
1: Interesting they don't form the Light Blue Nile. Which is what you would get if you combine blue and white. (laughs) Sky blue? (laughs) If you ask me. (laughs) In any case, this is going to be one of the world's largest dams. And it is the largest hydroelectric generator in Africa and the seventh largest in the world. Let's remember the Three Gorges is the very largest hydroelectric generator in the world. That's right. So again, top 10
0: power generation plants. Absolutely, seventh largest. That's pretty good. You know, a lot of great basketball players have been drafted in the seventh position. You only got seven, or sorry, six dams ahead of you when you're that's the seventh right. largest. <laughs> it's pretty good. So, you know, and number one in Africa. That's a big deal. And this dam is, I believe, seventy percent complete. So it's it's not even finished yet. And and yet they're filling it already, which is
1: crazy. <laughs> a big vote of confidence that that last thirty percent is going to get finished. I guess. Yeah. An interesting thing about this dam is that it didn't have any foreign investment. The Ethiopian population itself and the diaspora of Ethiopians throughout the world directly financed this dam via what sort of amounts to like a GoFundMe, I guess. <laughs>
0: <laughs> what, what does that mean? Was the, was the government like emailing everyone? I have no idea. I, I know that they, they issued bonds, so you could basically invest in this dam And many, many Ethiopians did, just like dollars and cents. Ethiopians in Ethiopia and also abroad. And I would imagine that there was some way to get internet payments (laughs) for this thing, too. (laughs) There's like an Act Blue, Act Blue Nile. (laughs) Act Blue Nile, exactly. Yeah, Perfect.
1: So once this dam is completed, it's going to be able to hold more water in reservoir than Egypt uses in an entire year. Mm, that's just a large amount of water, isn't it?
0: It's a large amount of water. My understanding is the reservoir is the size of Metro London. You can fit Mm. London in the reservoir and fill it up and you won't see any buildings. (laughs) It's just, that's truly (laughs) quite crazy. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So when
1: it's completed, it's going to triple Ethiopia's electricity generation capability. So that's a a huge infusion of, of electricity into it
0: yeah it also says a lot about ethiopia in that two-thirds of the population currently has no electricity <laughs> yeah that's so they they need electricity they need this in order to get wealthier there's no question about it and, and it looks like they're
1: going to get it maybe that 65 percent is going to have power and you have to imagine ethiopia is going to look very different in 20 years probably because of this project yeah So three different countries rely on the Nile River, Ethiopia, Sudan, and Egypt, in order of upstream to downstream. So Sudan is between Ethiopia upstream and Egypt downstream.
0: Correct, yeah.
1: Um, 95% of Egypt's population lives on the banks of the Nile. 85% of Egypt's water supply overall travels through Ethiopia first. Yikes. So once this dam is completed, that is to say... Ethiopia technically will have control over 85% of Egypt's water supply. Is that correct?
0: That seems like a major vulnerability. Of course, Ethiopia will not be motivated to hold the water back. That's not something they're going to want to do because they're trying to generate power. It needs to go through the dam. Nevertheless, it's kind of frightening for Egypt. (laughs) Yeah, just as a a
1: new reality, whether it's likely Ethiopia is going to cut off water or not, just to have
0: Ethiopia have that power in that position, yeah. yeah, be in that position is a new situation. No country wants to have another country be in that position <laughs> over them, right?
1: And I don't know, but I think that's maybe that's something that isn't seen anywhere else right now.
0: Not that I can think of. There are somewhat analogous situations elsewhere in the Middle East, like between Israel and Palestine for instance, in that the Israelis control the water supply mm. for a lot of Palestine. But it's, yeah, it's not, I don't think, anywhere near as stark as this. Yeah, this is
1: kind of a new era of water control between yes. nations on the face of this earth. Mm-hmm. So having said that, the dictator of Egypt, Abdel Fattah el-Sisi, mm-hmm. has called this damn dispute, quotes, a matter of life and death. And he's not wrong. <laughs> right. He doesn't seem wrong one key issue here is the question of how rapidly Ethiopia will fill the dam. The faster they fill the reservoir behind the dam, the more disruptive it is for Egypt because the faster the reservoir fills, the less water goes downstream, the smaller the throughput. Exactly. So there's disagreement between Egypt and Ethiopia on how fast they want that to happen. It could take anywhere from five to 15 years to fill that reservoir. The current Ethiopian plan is for it to take five to six years. So as fast as possible. right? And Egypt is requesting 12 to 21 years. So near as slow as the slowest end of what would be predicted. Now, I'm not amazing at math, but there doesn't seem to be an overlap there. (laughs) Your math skills are at least good enough to grasp this. It's true. There's no overlap. So what does that, you know, what does it mean? The how will that disagreement be
0: negotiated? We don't know. That's the crux of the issue, yeah. And especially what happens during an Egyptian drought, right? It's like, is Ethiopia going to c- come to the re- their rescue by releasing more water? Or is are just going to be like, no, we're still filling this thing. Get bent. Sure. That
1: will be a, a potential source of conflict that will always exist once this yeah. dam is built.
0: The funny thing is that if these countries cooperate Good things can happen for Egypt too, though, right? Yeah. um, If they do cooperate and coordinate, it's predicted that reduced evaporation
1: from the GERD versus Egyptian dams could actually end up increasing Egypt's water supply by 5% over the long run. Which would be a big deal because Egypt needs more water all the time. Right. 5% is is a large number in this case. So yeah, that could be a a win-win.
0: That could be a, a benefit to Egypt. Got it. So is, is there any sort of agreement or law from in the past governing how these waters are used? Well, as you mentioned earlier, there's no agreement at all as to
1: what would happen in an Egyptian drought. Yeah. Like there's no precedent for dictating what Ethiopia would have to do there. Right. But there were old agreements that were agreed upon in the 50s, 1950s water agreements that assigned Egypt over half of the total water supply from the Nile. So, at that time, it looks like those agreements really favored Egypt. Right. Egypt's population has exploded since that time, so even that amount of water might be might not be preferable for them.
0: Yeah, it's not, not sufficient, yeah.
1: They're making do, I imagine, but... <laughs> yeah.
0: I mean, the population keeps increasing. So that tells you something, right? Yeah, I
1: guess it does. And (laughs) Ethiopia wasn't even included in these agreements because I guess at the time the country just wasn't very developed at all.
0: It wasn't very developed and it was never a British colony, unlike Egypt and Sudan. And Uh, I think the British, you know, prior to this time and then even during this time still had some say. I mean prior to nineteen fifty six anyway, and and Nasser and all of that, when the British basically got kicked out of, of Egypt permanently.
1: Part of that means that because they weren't included in the agreements, they're not bound by the
0: agreements. Yeah. They're not. Which is a kind
1: of a Wild West situation.
0: It's a bit of an oversight because Ethiopia contains one of the two sources of the Nile. (laughs) So it's like you maybe wanted to have included them in this deal, but it doesn't matter anyway. It's, you know, it's 70 years ago.
1: Yeah. Hindsight 2020, all that.
0: What about Sudan? They're standing in the middle between Ethiopia and Egypt. Yeah. Sudan's in the middle there and the GERD
1: should actually help Sudan because Sudan suffers flooding, tons of it frequently and due to that they can't reach their agricultural goals got because, it you know flooding is very disruptive and interesting this this dam should help control the amount of flooding yeah the water that comes through Sudan will be a controlled amount i guess from here on out yeah
0: it's interesting because the Ethiopians built this thing basically right on the border of Sudan and they don't care about flooding or not flooding that's not what they're in this for they're in this purely for power mm-hmm. but They can help the Sudanese a lot because the Sudanese definitely care about flooding and, you know, steady water supply instead of like this feast and famine thing. Mm -hmm. And this dam can actually service them pretty nicely.
1: So basically, the picture is that Ethiopia just decided they
0: were going to build this despite what anyone else thought. Yeah. And then they did do it. (laughs) (laughs) They did it. They did it unilaterally and they only unveiled the plans 10 years ago. And my understanding is that the plans were secret, and this was codenamed something. It was like Mm -hmm. Project X or something. Sounds intriguing. (laughs) Yeah, sounds like something you'd want to steal. Codename
1: something. (laughs) Yeah. So there's clearly, as a result of that unilateral decision on Ethiopia's part, there's been dispute between Egypt and Ethiopia just about the dam being built at all and it's lasted for a decade.
0: Yeah, so the Egyptians don't like this. They don't like some other country having the power of life and death over them. But the thing is, Egypt and Ethiopia don't share a border. Sudan is in between them. So that means that Egypt's options for dealing with this militarily, should it come to that, are limited. A direct military strike is pretty unlikely. They would have to go through Sudan. Like, they'd have to fly uh, fighter jets through Sudanese airspace, and the Sudanese may or may not be willing to do that. The Egyptian navy has increased its presence in the Red Sea, which is the, the body of water in between East Africa and Arabia. But again, Ethiopia is landlocked because Eritrea is no longer part of Ethiopia, and that's where all the ports are. So... It's not like the Egyptians have aircraft carriers or something like that, where they can strike from the ocean anyway. And a
1: a military strike in this case would mean attempting to blow up the dam, I guess, right? I would think so. And the thing is 70% constructed. It would be quite a thing to blow that up at this point.
0: uh, Not to say
1: that no one would try or no one would do it, but...
0: Yeah, I I can't imagine that it would come to that, especially not right away. Instead, we might get a ramp-up of... A proxy conflict with Mm. militia groups and stuff like this. There's militias all over this region because of its long history of strife and civil war. In particular, Egypt has connections to armed groups in Eritrea and Sudan, militia groups, and those groups are not very friendly with Ethiopia. Hmm. previously mentioned, Eritrea fought a nasty civil war against Ethiopia for literally decades. It went on, on and off, and it finally formally ended two years ago in 2018. These guys were still formally at war up until then, and they're still not, I would say, especially friendly. Meanwhile, the Sudanese has connections to Islamist opponents of the Egyptian government, like the Islamic Brotherhood. So... If the Sudanese and the Egyptians get into it, for instance, if the Egyptians were to try to get th- to Ethiopia through Sudan without permission, they could cause problems in Egypt, conceivably. This has been a problem for a long time. Really embarrassingly, in 2013, a bunch of Egyptian political leaders were on a hot mic on live TV and uh, while they were discussing methods for sabotaging or destroying the dam. <laughs> <laughs> pretty embarrassing so they
1: got they got caught just openly talking about that
0: yeah I, i i i don't think um it was a a purposeful mistake i don't think it was one of those that was meant to send a message or anything it's just a true blunder just a straight up blunder yeah meanwhile the united states including the trump administration has usually taken egypt's side in this dispute because egypt is a pretty important american ally And recently, the administration has warned Ethiopia that final testing and filling of the dam should not take place without an agreement. That seems pretty straightforward. It does, and yet they're filling the dam currently. They are testing and filling the dam without an agreement.
1: One might conclude that Ethiopia is not taking uh, that
0: warning very seriously. Yeah, so we're probably going to see U.S. aid to Ethiopia cut, and I think it's $3 billion or something like that. It's not insignificant, but the Ethiopians have a lot riding on this and they're not going to back down. It's the bottom line. As of right now, the first year target for filling the GERD has been reached, allowing Ethiopia to test two out of its 16 hydroelectric turbines. That's how hydroelectric power works. The water flows through these turbines, spins them up, and generates power that way. Mm. The turbines are located in the dam. Meanwhile, uh, this current state of play is that Egypt, Sudan, and Ethiopia have agreed to resume talks under the auspices of the African Union, which they all belong to. Ethiopia is, is actually holding all the cards here. And both countries' leaders are dealing with major domestic political problems, and they want to appear tough on TV. The president of Ethiopia is this guy, Abiy Ahmed, who is up for re-election next year and he's facing major protests against his administration so he certainly doesn't want to appear weak right now right meanwhile al-sisi over in egypt is on the verge of sending troops into libya so he's got his plate full too and yeah. can't really afford you know another war with ethiopia or or even too many tensions really but there's there's no question this is a pretty delicate situation <laughs> yeah
1: so let's talk about what some of the common themes are that come up when we're talking about these two dams generally.
0: Yeah, it's, it's funny because we usually talk about events in individual countries, right? We don't usually talk thematically about objects like dams. Mm-hmm. But in this case, it's pretty important because it comes to the center of a number of converging trends that we see that are going to be more and more important in the 21st century. One of those is the fact that these dams are nationalist projects. They are symbolic to these regimes and these peoples, and um, especially for countries that are developing and trying to get wealthier faster, that have come from backgrounds of colonization and abject poverty uh, and humiliation, frankly. Building one of these dams, one of these monumental projects, is a great way to stand up and say, we can be modern, we can be wealthy, and we don't need foreigners to help us, right? Mm -hmm. The thing is that by projecting strength, you also create these vulnerabilities, right? Mm -hmm. Especially given that what used to be thousand-year floods are now hundred-year floods, and hundred-year floods are now ten-year floods, right? Sure. With climate change.
1: The vulnerability of a dam is the possibility of it breaking. Yeah, exactly. No one would, could predict how much more of a risk of that happening there would be this quickly, or maybe some people could
0: actually. But yeah, but you know, if if you're in one of these countries, you're already desperately poor. You know, China was desperately poor in the early 90s. It had started to get wealthier, but you have to understand that the Chinese voted, quote unquote, voted on the Three Gorges project only three years after the Tiananmen Square massacre which set it against the entire Western world, right? Meanwhile, the GERD started after many, many decades of war with Eritrea in Ethiopia. Both of these countries clearly had something to prove. The question is, was this really the best way to prove it? <laughs> it's not clear to me, right? Right. I mean, newer
1: technology exists than dams, one True. could argue, you know, solar, yeah. wind, that ha- have less impacts in terms of like displacing people when you build them. One might wonder if, well, in the case of Ethiopia, it's recent enough that they selected a dam instead of trying solar. And I'm sure there were a bunch of reasons for that. I get what you're saying. It's like when a country is, is poor and mm-hmm. undeveloped, they might use technologies that are maybe somewhat older and outdated in more developed countries, but that were instrumental in helping more developed countries get to where they are
0: exactly that's exactly right and dams are a lot cheaper they're a lot faster to build in some ways you know building out solar infrastructure and wind infrastructure can take a really long time
1: mm.
0: and it's pricey you know the fact of the matter is that gerd is old technology it's well understood technology mm-hmm. anybody can do it including a very very poor country like ethiopia and they just proved it <laughs> <laughs> but yeah it's is it the best way to go over the long run Maybe not. I think I think that uh, Ethiopia has more of a leg to stand on than China, because two-thirds of their population doesn't even have electricity. And it's 2020. They have a lot of catching up to do, right?
1: They do, and this can supercharge that.
0: Yeah. The Chinese had access to nuclear power and a lot of other types of solutions in the 1990s. They didn't need to build the Three Gorges, but they did it anyway. It's kind of staggering that they made that decision when you think about what was displaced and... Yeah, and how much opposition it drew in an absolute dictatorship. (laughs) It's like, yeah, it's crazy. All right, so yeah, these are big, important national projects, but they may or may not actually end up helping these countries climb out of poverty and assert themselves. Plenty of countries are contemplating these types of projects if they have the resources, uh, the natural resources, and I guess the capital to be able to do it. So we're going to see this more and more often, stuff like this. Mm-hmm. So in addition to the, the symbolic nature
1: and the development benefits that come from mm-hmm. these huge projects, water itself is an increasingly valuable currency, global currency. No question, yeah. Unfortunately, it's uh, getting harder to come by. I guess technically there's always the same amount of water, <laughs> yeah. but the way it's distributed <laughs>
0: changes life on Earth a lot. It does, yeah. There's a lot more, I guess, variation in the way the water is distributed, the fresh water, right? Particularly in China. Yeah, talk about that a little bit. So, the crazy thing about China is it has both too much and not enough water.
1: What? Huh?
0: Yeah. If you take it all together and average it, China looks fine in terms of water, but the thing is that it's just poorly distributed half of its rivers have actually disappeared, especially around its other major river, the Yellow River, which is another really important agricultural area. Mm. So it's it's just a matter of overuse, inefficiency, and poor building practices. Too much growth. That's mind-boggling that half of China's rivers have disappeared. Have dried up. Yeah, the Yellow River dries up now, and that's... Not supposed to happen. It's never really happened in, in world history, wow. you know. And climate change obviously compounds this. It's bad development and also climate change. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, the Yangtze is still completely out of control, and it's been raining for two months over there. Mm-hmm. So you have one part of the country that's bone dry, and another part of the country that is on the verge of catastrophic flooding.
1: And you might see that year after
0: year. Yeah, you, you might see it get worse. So if you're China, you know. How do you deal with this? It turns out that there are probably other better ways to deal with flooding and these water problems more generally. And it involves what's called adaptive agriculture and really adaptive architecture and civil engineering. It's this idea that you try to work with natural systems instead of dominating them with 20th century technologies and gigantic towers of concrete. It's this idea that you reestablish wetlands as buffers against flooding. And instead of covering cities and rivers in concrete, which resist water, you actually open them up with porous materials and dirt so that they can soak up the waters and replenish sort of the, the groundwater underneath these areas.
1: That's really interesting. So you're saying like sidewalks and concrete roads could be replaced with new materials that let water yes. soak through the roads and the sidewalks?
0: Yeah, it's more porous materials or like lattice works with like grass and dirt. And there are plans in Los Angeles over the next several decades. Los Angeles, as you know, suffers from major drought and climate change issues. And we need to replenish our groundwater. Right now, Los Angeles is a gigantic parking lot. So all the rain we get ends up in the ocean mm-hmm. basically instantly. That's no good. We want that rain. And there's ways to do that that are pretty simple,
1: right? Yeah, that's really interesting. Get rid of
0: the parking lots. Like, it's not that hard.
1: Or just build, rebuild them out of a different material.
0: Yeah, or, or that, you know? It's like, I would like to get rid of parking lots too. I would like so- self-driving cars,
1: right? If parking lots could actually go away, I'd be in favor of that. But maybe next best thing is make them not deflect water from the water table.
0: Yes, fewer parking lots also means a lot less traffic think about it that way
1: i'm liking it
0: yeah so that's china on the other hand the ethiopians are kind of sitting on a gold mine in the form of the blue nile right if you want to talk about water as global currency this is a dry part of the world and they have this tremendous asset that they could use not only to develop themselves but as you alluded to earlier speed up the development of east africa as a whole if Ethiopia and its neighbors can manage to cooperate. The plan is to generate so much power from this dam that the Ethiopians actually run a surplus that they can export to neighboring countries. Your Ugandas, your Sudan's, your Eritreas, for that matter, your Somalias, all these desperately poor countries that don't have infrastructure, don't have electricity. Mm -hmm. In order to do this, though, they're going to have to cooperate. They're going to have to build a lot of power lines, power Transmission facilities, stuff like this,
1: so a lot of infrastructure development, and it'll probably happen. I would think. I hope so. <laughs> That's why hearing about this dam makes me think that that whole region is is going to look very
0: different several decades from now. The question is whether the Ethiopians will be enlightened about the use of this resource that they technically control, or whether they're going to use it selfishly, right? Which could lead to
1: actual wars absolutely which is kind of status quo in that area
0: yeah it could we could fall right back into destabilization and war as a result of this project that's supposed to make ethiopia wealthier and better off and ideally most of its neighbors too ethiopia would love to sell its neighbors power you know but if its neighbors are all angry at ethiopia because the ethiopians don't listen to them (laughs) like it's probably going to be tough right I would think so. So you get this sort of really interesting tension between cooperation and competition as a result of this scarce natural resource. This but there's at least the possibility for
1: sort of a win 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 situation in that area.
0: Yeah. And those negotiations are are going right now. We'll see how long it takes and what comes out of it. You know, we're in the middle of a global pandemic, so that doesn't make things easier. And this is again the kind of thing that the United States might facilitate if it had more diplomatic firepower than it currently does <laughs> which is another scenario that could
1: potentially change it could in the next it few could. years yeah so yeah i i don't know my my final thoughts from talking about these dams is basically that i don't know exactly what to say about them they're a double-edged sword i suppose they yep have huge potential negatives they have societal positives as well. I don't know if they're the best possible way to get a lot of electricity in 2020. I think especially to the extent that they cause ecological damage that can't be fixed, they're not worth it. But Mm. you have to think from the perspective of a country that wants to develop and doesn't have what they need to even provide the necessities to their population.
0: Yeah, keep in mind that Ethiopia, nobody helped them do this. They had to do it themselves, which is crazy. They had to fundraise. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Big sales, you know? Yeah. And like
1: I, I kind of admire that. So I've thought more about dams this week than I ever have in my life. And I guess my takeaway <laughs> is, you know, I'll be damned what, what a thing a dam is, huh?
0: Yeah, there you go. There's so many puns, so many mediocre puns that have spun out of this. How about your final thoughts? So my final thought uh, is basically that there is an old way of doing business and a new way of doing business. There's the 20th century way of doing business and the 21st century. And we're kind of stuck in the middle between these two methodologies for developing a country and getting along with your neighbors. And the old way to do things is to build in concrete Build big, build fast, and go big, right? <laughs> Just maximize everything. Get as much power as you, can, as you will ever need and then some. And don't worry too much about the future because right now you're poor and you need to do something. That's how engineers used to think. I think there's a new generation of engineers who think differently. They think more about sustainability and the kind of world that we're actually entering which will require a lot more cooperation with both other humans and with the natural world, right? So I think your point about there being more effective ways to get this done is well taken, if you're not Ethiopia. If you're Ethiopia, you don't have any money. You have a $90 billion GDP. You're New Hampshire in the size of two Texases. <laughs> <laughs> so you don't have a choice, and I kind of sympathize. And, and it seems like the GERD could end up being a, like a very valuable resource for everybody in that neighborhood. Right. And we should, we should hope that it, it does. Certainly. I think that we will continue to monitor the situation. We hope that Three Gorges Dam doesn't collapse. That would be very bad. Mm-hmm. Even though you know, the Chinese government under Xi Jinping has demonstrated a lot of really troubling tendencies – we do not want... Yeah, we
1: don't want a giant dam to break and kill hundreds of thousands of people.
0: No. That's our stance yeah. at the Elucidators. Uh, in, in China, to whatever extent we're entering a Cold War with them, whatever, that would destabilize China and it would be bad for everybody. Absolutely. So that is our official stance. Uh, <laughs> stay strong, Three Gorges. We are out. Right, Pete?
1: That's right, Steve. We're out. Talk to you next week and you have a good week, man. Yeah, you too. Bye. Bye.